Hi dolls, I'm thrilled to have you along for my next project, the So My Mom's a Therapist podcast. I'm actually gonna be listening to your questions. So send me your questions in a voice memo to my email address, so my mom's a therapist podcast at gmail.com. Each week I'm gonna be answering those questions along with my TikTok buddy and producer, Andrew. And while you're at it, a great way for you to support this podcast is to rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us grow and reach more people, and it only takes a few seconds. Thank you for listening, and we're so grateful that you're here. All right, Lisa, how was your week? You know, it was good. It was it was good. I think with the work and with Christmas coming up, but I mean, I mean, episode three, I don't know. Is that too soon to like show up in my PJs on a podcast? Like, I feel like. Yeah, I hope people will be listening in their PJs. So maybe we could be having like a pajama party together. Can we do that? That's so much more my style, please. I mean, can we just like grab our coffee and have like a PJ podcast? Because that's exactly so much for putting like trying to act like I'm like, oh, fuck that. I don't have it all together. There's no way. (laughs) We're just like rolling out in our PJs. (laughs) <laughs> it's Christmas, gosh dang it. <laughs> well, I mean, there's so much going on right now, especially over here in New York. You're in California. I'm in New York for our yeah. listeners who are listening who don't yeah. know. But um, a lot of stuff is going down with the whole Omicron. And I just wanted to pick your brain because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are feeling anxious about this. You know, I yeah. know that I'm definitely a hypochondriac. I'm a germaphobe. I'm very afraid of getting sick. What advice do you have for people who are stressed about this whole thing? Yeah. Yeah. No. And notice what I'm not, we're, we're not coming on here, just, you know, discussing the content. So this is not, you know, because if we discuss the content, what you think of that, what you think of Omicron, what do you think of, I mean, we're not going to get anywhere, but if we look underneath and say, well, no matter how you, what you believe about it, what is your stress level? What is your anxiety? Exactly. And one of the reasons why this is such a big deal is because it's macro it, it's, it's, I mean, think about it. When you think about the coronavirus in general, it's it's this big thing that you don't have control over. So it's at a macro right. level, and things at a macro level that we can't control. That's what make that's what stresses out our body. So we want to get down to a micro level. What do I mean by getting down to a micro level? It's getting down to this place to say, okay, I don't have control over the virus at large. And if I think about it, all it's going to do is like stress me out to a new level, but I can go, okay, what do I have control over? And I'd get into what I call micro choices. Okay. I can choose to wear a mask. I can choose to be careful. I can choose to wash my hands. Right. And I want to focus on the pieces I do have control over, but in a very responsible way, I still would encourage you get outdoors. We need to be outside. We need to connect with people. And if we need to take precautions to do that, you actually will end up causing yourself more damage by sequestering yourself off in your home because we need people. We need sunshine. We need to be outdoors. Those are all things that affect our mental health. And I'm not just talking about people on screens. We need to be around the physical energy of people. So I would say, how do I do that in a way that I can swing in, have those experiences and then swing back. And if I need to regulate, so I would say, okay, how do I, how do I swing out, get myself a little uncomfortable, get outdoors, go for a walk, be around people in a way that, that I I can manage that and then come back here. But we want to stay micro. I'd be very careful how many stories you read. I would, because all that does is like, it it stresses us out. It stresses us out. So we want to look and say, wait, hold on, getting this information. Is this helping my mental health? Is this helping my nervous system? And a lot of times it's not, it's not. I think that's great advice. Um, 
what do you say? Should we get into some questions? Yes. Wait, 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 wait. Right. Before we do, wait. How yeah. are you? How are you doing? I'm okay. We, we, you know, we had some COVID drama over here. I'm, I'm looking like I'm negative, but you just don't know. So I'm currently quarantining in my room uh, on Long Island at my parents' house. But, you know, it's all good. I feel now that I'm like been exposed to the worst of it. You know, I'm always somebody that can really, um, I freak out before things happen when before shit hits the fan. But then while shit's hitting the fan, I'm actually like the most calm in the room. Mm. It's very weird. I'm like, I feel like then I like buckle down and I'm the one that everybody looks to, Get you know. Done. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> okay, right. something to tuck away though when we do that. Yeah. I'm very much that personality too. I'm yeah. very, well, I mean, well, I'm in crisis work, so that's like where that's where I thrive. But but something we don't. But there's often there's a fallout afterwards. So something to tuck away if you're somebody who is like stellar as far as like okay, like I can step up in the middle of a crisis or in a hard situation, I can get shit done. But when you're, when actually, when it gets to like a safe place where our body's like, okay, everybody's good. All of a sudden then is when we have a letdown. All of a sudden, when it's like the floor solid, everything's solid now, then our body will tend to crumble afterwards. So something to, something to tuck away. Oh, all right. Well, we can tackle that next week. Then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Once we're there. All right. So our right, first question comes from Cody. Cody says, Hi, Lisa. My name is Cody. I am a 27-year-old cisgender gay man. Um, I was raised by two addicts um, growing up, um, one an alcoholic, the other one a meth addict. Um, grew up seeing a lot of um, domestic violence, having to call the police on parents, having to escape through windows. Um, I became a very self-sufficient child at a very young age and um, was basically that way until I left the house to go to college. Um, and a lot of that trauma has followed me um, well into adult adulthood, um, despite going through therapy multiple times. The first time I went through therapy um, was because I was having daily panic attacks. Mm -hmm. um, for about two to three months, um, whenever I was, uh, 20. Um, and I've noticed that for me, a lot of my triggers when it comes to my trauma around like my childhood comes up most of the time in romantic relationships. Sometimes it can come up in, um, friendships. However, I've noticed for the most part, it comes up in relationships. Um, mostly whenever I feel like I'm not Maybe I'm not really loved by my partner or I have doubts or they're not able to validate me in the way that I need them to or reassure me um, immediately. I tend to act out and protest. I have an anxious attachment style, which makes me like, you know, want to reach out to my partners more. Um, and um, I am also an addict. Um, I got sober um, whenever I was 26 and I'm still in my first year of sobriety. Um, and have now being sober for a little bit, like I can see how, um, I would act out the traumatic feelings in whenever I was inebriated, like I didn't feel comfortable talking to people about it, um, sober or, you know, really like discussing it outside of therapy. So like whenever I would get drunk, like a lot of those feelings and thoughts would come out in like really not great ways, um, which, you know, really damaged my relationships over the years, especially 
um, in my last relationship where I was constantly acting out um, whenever I didn't feel like my partner was validating me enough um, and basically burned that relationship down, um, which was one of my main motivators in getting sober and kind of like the turning point for me to realize that I did have a problem with alcohol and drugs. Um, now, whenever those sensations come up, there's like no outlet um, besides to actually feel them. And I'm so not used to doing that, um, that um, I've been, ever since I've gotten sober, like I've been feeling very unsafe in my body. Um, and it's been really hard to have relationships with people because all those triggers are still happening. Um, and I am in therapy trying to work through this, but like I, I'm still noticing like those triggers happening, especially like seeing my ex-partner from my last relationship. Um, and it gets really bad in my body. Like I, 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 most recently I was getting like a checkup at the clinic, um, getting like regular STI and like blood screens. Um, and they were like trying to draw blood and I'm not like adverse to needles or anything, but like, I just, broke down whenever they were trying they were having difficulty with the needle and I just I, my whole body just shut down and I just started crying and I wasn't thinking about anything specific and it was just so scary to have that reaction in my body because it's not it's not something I'm thinking about or consciously having it just it just happens and um and I guess my my question after going through all that background is like how can I feel safe in my body in relationships whenever I have all this trauma that doesn't place the responsibility on my partner to always be able to fix it? Because I recognize that they aren't a lot of times going to be able to fix it or really do anything besides provide comfort. Um, how do I like teach my body and myself to feel safe reaching out to partners and letting them into you know, this world that I don't even fully understand. Oh, yeah. Man. Oh, okay. Can we just like, just want to give a big hug. Like, is there a way we can get them in the room? I'm, I'm, I, now I'm frustrated. I always thought if I could hear their voices, that would feel better. Now I'm like, no, no, I still need bodies to hug. Um, well, gosh, I just want to start like Cody. Thank you so much for trusting us and opening up and sharing your story with us. Um, and so I'm just going to, Again, disclaimer, this is not therapy. Although I'm a licensed therapist, this is not therapy. This is simply us just giving um, advice and opinion. Um, and I don't, I'm, Andrew, I've never done this before, but I'm just going to speak on behalf of both of us just to say, like, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm, I'm so sorry that you didn't get, that your childhood, that you didn't get, like, tended to, like, just as a, as a, as a little one, you know, I just, to me, it's like, it's almost like a death when I hear this. I, I have the same response when I hear this in my office. Like I'm, I'm so sorry that little you did not get that protection and that love and that just being held and having a safe place with a, a safe, like a floor underneath you, a solid floor underneath you that this world is safe. And so your little, your little sweet nervous system did not grow up with a sense of safety that the floor would not give out at any moment. And I always just like want to I, you know, whatever your, anyone's spirituality is, I'm always like, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm just gonna like hold all these little babies and just like, and just like, I'm so sorry you didn't get that experience um, of being protected, um, being protected and being nurtured. Um, and I think, I think that's what we spend the rest of our life doing. And that's your journey, Cody. And I just want to applaud you to 
you know, for even going back again to therapy, that's so brave. Like that's so brave to go back again and go back again and, and say, you know, like, fuck this, at least at the end of my life, I'm going to say, I did everything possible I could to help myself learn and grow. And it is not about arriving, but can I sit in a place that says I, I exhausted every effort to try to make this easier, to try to obtain those relationships that I want. And it is about growth. You know, Andrew, you always hear me say, you know, we are under construction until our last breath. And that's what you were doing. Exactly. And, and Cody, I do believe that for you. I believe you will have those relationships. And if you need to borrow my hope, you can borrow my hope as long as you need to, that I, I absolutely believe that for you, um, that, that, that you just keep working on that and that, 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 that you will have those relationships. Let me, let me point out a few things um, that, I, that I do see. The first one, the, the one about you going in to get some lab work done and the needle not working and, you know, wow, it was, I mean, to me, that is so symbolic. It's symbolic. And even though you were like, I don't know why, why did I break down when they were trying to draw blood and it didn't work? And I'd say, be, because it's, it's almost symbolic, again, that you're not, your body's not doing what it's supposed to do. Like your body's supposed to be giving blood and it won't do that. Just like your body is having all these reactions and, and that, that you don't like. And again, your body's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And I just see that as like this symbolic gesture, like, uh, like uh, like a physical symbol of what you feel in your body, which is my body's not producing the way it should produce. It's not reacting the way it should. And the fact that it can't even give fucking blood is like a, like a perfect visual of what I feel happens on a daily basis in my body. It's not reacting the way I want. It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. So, so that would be my one is, to, is just to hold that as an image again. And I would say then, how do, we, how do we tend to a body? How do we tend to a body that's not doing what it should be doing? And you may already know this from therapy, but I'll repeat it again. And that is, there is a lot that is going on in our body that is for us to tend to, that is left over from childhood, that is not for our partner to tend to. And learning that balance of what is for me and what is for them, it, it's not about arriving there. It's about, it's a swing, which means, okay, that was me relying too much on my partner to be regulated. How do I, how do I swing back and rely more on me? That's that. Even when I use that cupcake analogy, I, how do I tend to myself? I'm the cake, right? And then if I swing the other way, no, no, I'm, I'm relying too much on myself. How do I, how do I swing in? And that, that can actually be scarier to say, I don't know how to swing in and ask for things without, for a partner without like slipping and falling all the way into the pool. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like right, right. finding that, finding that balance of what's for me and, and what's for them. And I would encourage you in relationships to start communication right off the bat with somebody you're new with to say, hey, this is where I'm at. I'm aware I'm in this place, my body. And I actually, I, I believe you have very, very PTSD-like symptoms because your trauma was so extreme growing up and it was a chronic situation. I mean, it's like you were raised in a war territory. You were, and you might as well have been raised in like Lebanon in the middle of a war. When you grow up with addict parents, that is what it's like. Your nervous system is growing up in a war zone. And if you think about that, what do, what do people who've grown up in a war zone have? They have PTSD symptoms. So I see a body that has very PTSD-like symptoms. So what would you say to a partner? Just so you know, given my trauma history, I just know this is what's going on in my body. It is not up for you to do that. Um, but to regulate me, but I want you to know I'm aware of it and I'm working on it and then, and bring them into the conversation. And, and I would right away, cause you're going to need a partner that has a lot of understanding and compassion for that as you're figuring that out, as you're figuring it out. What often happens too, 
is that we will go down this path when our body gets triggered, we will go down a path and it'll, it'll split of either sleuthing and attacking or self-regulating. And we split. So our body gets triggered and it either goes into, it gets triggered because they've done something and we may think, oh, are they being faithful? Or they did something and I feel like, oh, they just triggered me. And I'll go down this path of being like, who's that? Who's that on the phone? Who are you talking to? Right. And it'll go down this investigating path or, or it goes on blaming that it's your fault that I'm feeling this way. So it's sleuthing and attacking where I go on self-regulating. And that that's where we want to be aware. Okay. Can I find this moment when I, when I get triggered that says I either go down this path or what would it look like to regulate myself? And then I may ask a question. Then I may express frustration. But if I try to do that while my body is still triggered, it will come off as like, like I'm investigating or interrogating or I'm attacking them. So seeing if we can regulate our body first, work on regulating our body and then switching over and communicating and asking questions. Now, what does it look like to regulate your body when you have had extreme trauma? And, and I would say I have so much compassion for your history as far as coping with alcohol and, and drugs. And I think we, we slow down and we label behavior as bad. And I don't see it that way. I, I don't. I, I don't, I, that, does that mean I'm saying, yes, go out, let's be an addict. Let's no, no, I'm not, but I have so much compassion because what is your body trying to do when somebody turns to drugs, when they turn to alcohol, why we are just trying to get our, our, we're trying to put out that fire in our body and your body learned, this is a really quick way to put out a fire. And you touched on something that was so important, which is when I black out and I let all that emotion out. I mean, alcohol is like taking that shower curtain and being like, whoop, like veil is pulled over and everything is out there in all its glory. I mean, think about it. Like I think about like a shower, right? It's like you pull back the shower curtain and there they are in all their glory and nakedness. Like that's what happens in our body with alcohol. And so your body got a release. It actually got a release from that. So I would say what your body needs is when, when that release was so intense that it would get that emotional release, what you'd get from alcohol and drugs. Are you going to find something that looks exactly like that? No. And I would also give yourself permission at times to be like, oh, I miss that. I, I'm, I don't miss the destructive behavior. I don't miss the messiness, but boy, I do. Oh, I miss what it gave me. I miss what my body got out of it. The reason your body would go back to that is because your brain connected a body sensation. It would get when I, when I have that much alcohol, I get this, I get this release. And so it's longing for that and it's craving that. So for you sweets, what I would say is whatever the releases needs to be that intense. So we want to look for things that are really intense. What are examples of things that are really intense? Well, for you, it would not just be like walking on a treadmill. It'd be like running up that fucking mountain. So your legs feel like they are burning, right? It would be like lifting weights. No, no little dumbbell for you. You got to lift some like fucking big, like weights. Like you need something as intense, something almost that makes you not almost something that makes you yell out almost like ah, like screaming, like you need to scream as you are trying to run up a fucking hill, literally. So you're going to have to look for things that have that intensity where, you know, for you, it's not just like jumping back and forth, but it's like hitting a punching bag and literally like maybe so much, so much that your hands ache at times. So you're going to need something that has that intensity to match that will allow your body to release it. Little side note here too. It's very interesting. 
try this out. I, there's oftentimes you will be, and I think I might've mentioned this before, Andrew, you will be doing something exercise related and your heart rate will hit. You're fine. You're all good. You had a good day. You weren't mad. You were in a good mood. You get on a bike, you start running. If your heart rate goes up high enough that your heart starts pounding, it actually can trigger like emotional flood. Like, can I tell you how many times I've cried on my Peloton? Like, and I was like, I why I am I crying? Yeah. Have you, have you, okay. I thought we might've talked about this before. No. Yeah. I, that's never happened to me. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's really interesting. I mean, everyone thought, oh, it's all the soul cycle, like instructors yeah. that are making everyone cry. No, no. <laughs> I mean, they add to it, you know, they add to it. like, come on, what obstacles do you need to overcome? I mean, they add to it, but your heart rate hits a point yeah. where it can trigger other experiences in your life where your heart rate uh, is that high. So you can have a physiological response of a release or emotion. And you're like, what the fuck? I was just out here riding my bike. What, what, you know, what happened? Right. That's what's happening. Your body's triggering because of the increased heart rate, a response. So give that a try too, and see if that can be cathartic and kind of let some of that out. Wow. Okay. What a question. Oh, what a story. We should see if we should start like getting people on like yeah. follow-ups and we can actually invite them in. Um, we could chat with them. Oh, can we do that? I would love, uh, can we, and I would say, can we get Cody first? I just, I just, uh, just so much compassion. And by the way, like, so, I mean, can you just celebrate sobriety? Like one day, wow. one day of sobriety. Yeah. I, I take you day, a day at a time. And even one day is to be like, look at you go, look what you're trying to do. That is so hard. So, I mean, just so, be so proud of yourself because I know we are over here so proud of that journey for you too. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, our next question comes from Amanda. Um, okay. Hello. My question is around um, borderline personality disorder and complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I currently have started going to therapy for complex post-traumatic stress disorder about three weeks ago. Um, and I was talking with my therapist about how my mom has a borderline personality disorder. And just from listening to my therapist and from uh, researching online, I know that borderline personality disorder is usually a generational disorder where it's passed on from generation to generation. Um, due to the parent continuing to inflict abuse and trauma, you know, onto their children who do it to their children and so on. Um, and I also know that those who have borderline personality disorder more often than not also have complex post-traumatic stress disorder, but those who have complex post-traumatic stress disorder don't always have borderline personality disorder. Um, and as I was speaking with my therapist over the last few weeks, uh, she told me that she sincerely does not believe that I have borderline personality disorder, but I do have the complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what is it that kind of determines if somebody gets borderline person uh, I'm sorry borderline personality disorder um, versus complex post-traumatic stress disorder uh, what is it about someone's environment that can I guess prevent them from developing uh, borderline personality disorder mm. oh sweet that's that's oh 
I mean, even though it wasn't a really long question, it's actually a really loaded question. And I would say, again, you're going to have, you're going to hear different perspectives from different therapists. Um, so I'm not going to speak from a research point of view, but I can, I can speak from what I have observed in my office. And my actually, my observation that I have in my practice seen is that the majority of people I have seen who've had a parent who has had borderline, and again, we don't want to demonize it. People have personality disorders. By the way, we all have a feel. We all have a feel of either narcissism or histrionic or borderline. We all have a feel. There's a difference between having like a little feel of it and, and being diagnosable. Um, and I, I think we tend to throw around those words a whole lot. I mean, if I see one more TikTok video on narcissism, I'm like, newsflash, <laughs> the entire world is not narcissist. <laughs> Hate to break it to you all. Just because you got your feelings hurt does not mean they're a narcissist. Does that mean there aren't narcissists out there? Absolutely. Very sensitive to wanting to honor that space, but, but not everybody is. A narcissist. A lot of people just have feels of something. We also don't want to demonize people that really struggle with those personality disorders. Majority of the people that I know that I've seen with those personality disorders, by the way, are not even aware that they have them. That's where to me, it's very distinguishing from like depression or anxiety where they're like, I don't like this. I don't like the way it feels. I know something feels wrong with me. Majority of the personality disorders, again, this is just my opinion that I've seen, they, they, they actually come in usually as part of a couple and the relationship is like going down in flames. And it's not a sense that they think that there's that there that there's something wrong with them um, or they're trying to change something. They're trying to change the other person usually what is what's going on. Um, so so that's my observation. And, and I almost would, I wish I had you in front of me, Amanda, because I would say, well, hold on, because what is, and even in asking that question, what are we trying to get? What, why are we even asking that question? Because my guess is you're wanting to know, hey, what is the difference? What causes somebody to be um, you know, borderline personality? Because my guess is underneath is a fear of, of that somehow becoming your reality. And if you, and I think that's your body's way of trying to say, please tell me, tell me how I can prevent this. How do I avoid this so that I don't end up like my mom? And it's more coming out of a place of fear. And, and that's why I would say, I would say to that fear, how do I tend to that fear and leave space for that? I know this is a very different perspective than where you thought I was going to go with this question. My guess is to say, how do you leave space to even just say, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm somehow going to wake up one day and not realize it and be borderline myself. And, and how do I leave space to, to tend to that and, and to allow myself to comfort myself and that I'm scared to death because I don't want to be like my mom is my guess. Um, but to answer your question for, from a, a clinical perspective, this is where it's challenging because the interesting thing about trauma is three people can all be set up, have the same experience and have three different responses. One can be completely severely traumatized. One can be mildly traumatized and one can have no trauma at all because our bodies, given the way our DNA is and the way we're wired and our upbringing and experiences are going to react different in different environments. And trauma is one of those. It won't be traumatic to everybody. It, trauma is subjective. And so because of that, I can't give you a definitive answer that you want, right? Um, my observation too, another observation that I've had in my work is the majority of the people I've seen, again, this is just my, my scope, is to say that have had a parent that's been borderline, they're not. They're, they, they, they're not borderline. In actuality, they tend to be the ones that more walk on eggshells. 
They've learned how to watch people around them. They tend to be way more anxious, highly anxious, because their antennas have learned with having a borderline parent. I always have to have my antennas up because I've got to be able to read cues it all the time, all the time, because I don't know if mom's going to be attacking, attacking or victim. I don't know if I'm going to be at fault or if I'm going to be the one that needs to tend to them. And so because of that, my, my safety, my floor, my foundation was never set. So I've learned I have to be up at all times. My antennas have to be up. I have to be able to read my guess. If I had to, I'm not psychic, but my guess is you probably read cues on people before they even read them in themselves, because you've had to learn to do that in order to keep your world safe. So, um, and actually a really good, a good book that I've read on this called um, how to stop walking. I believe this is the name. I might have to come back and correct it a different episode, how to stop walking on eggshells for people who've grown up having a parent or a partner that is borderline, because you tend to run more anxious, tend to be a little bit more of a people pleaser, tend to people and read people because you need to do that in order to stay safe. And that's what I've seen as far as, as children coming out of homes with that. What do you think about people over-diagnosing borderline personality disorder? Because I've heard that, I've heard, I've seen those TikToks too, where people uh, yeah. kind of think that, you know, everyone and everyone has borderline. Mm -hmm. Is that, do you think that's something that's over-diagnosed? Yeah, you know, I, I, I had once, I had a, a colleague, a mentor once who said to me, you know, every teenager is borderline as, as a joke, not, not diagnosable, but if right. you, majority of teenage girls, they're borderline-y feel, right? There's an emotional roller coaster. It's your fault. I'm sad a little bit. I mean, so I would say, you know, yes. Do I think it's, do I think it's thrown out there? Yes. I, I think, you know, there's some amazing things with the internet. There's amazing strides and advances. I mean, obviously there's, there's no refuting that. However, I think one of the negatives that has come out of the internet is that everybody diagnoses everybody else. This is a new thing. Yeah. I would say in the last yeah. few years, everybody is diagnosed. I, mean, I can't tell you how many sweet little clients I come in. Most of them teenagers that are like, I think I have bipolar. And I'm like, you do? Yes, I read all about it. I've, I've watched the YouTubes. I've read it. I am convinced. I mean, they come in and tell me now what they think they have. And so, yes, I, I think now we've almost gotten to this place where we are diagnosing everybody around us. We are diagnosing ourselves. I will tell you the one thing that I know about personality disorders, narcissism, and history, narcissism, histrionic, and borderline, those three, um, what I would say the primary ones, is that um, it, 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 from, from sitting in it and doing this work so long, I don't have to look for it. It hits me in the face. It hits me in the face. It's so obvious and it's usually so extreme. Um, and I would say people that have more feels is what we're grabbing hold of, but it, it's very it, it's very extreme. So it's one of those things that I don't have to go searching for it. It, it just more hits me. And I know what I'm, I have things that I know that if I start thinking this way or feeling this way, it, it, it's like, oh, I'm like, oh, there it is. That's it. Um, my body starts having reactions being in the room with them. And really quickly, because I feel like people are dying for me to ask this question next. Uh, do you think that it's possible with the help of medication for people to have these, you know, disorders and still live a quote unquote normal life or a productive life? Yes. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do. I think it's a, a long journey and I think it's a long road. Um, there's different techniques, I would say, that I for sure use with personality disorders. Um, just to give you a little background though, on personality disorders, the, the, one of the things that's really important to realize is that the, the, what is going on inside their body is often at a young age, it has been tripped upon that there is something wrong with me. 
And they probably don't even acknowledge it in themselves because somewhere along the way, whether a parent or experience, something happened where they determined something's wrong and their way of surviving was to put a complete shield around them, around themselves so that it was like, no, I can never, ever look at myself. I can never look at myself because my biggest fear is that I may turn and look at myself and find out that that is in fact true. And so because of that, one of the biggest tall tale signs of a personality disorder is they will not be able to own anything I, that you will rarely ever to if ever hear ever, ever hear them say, I am sorry, I blew it. I made a mistake because, and it's not that they're egotistical. It's because it comes out of fear. I can't, I can't look at myself because my biggest fear is I may look at myself and it may confirm my biggest fear from when, I don't know why this affects me that when I was young, which is that something really is in fact wrong with me. And so it's such, it's such a protective measure. Um, right. And so I, I think, cause I, I think I, cause I always see this, like, I see maybe it's cause I'm a therapist. I just see this like wounded child that is like, I can't, I can't. Yeah. Look at um, yeah. yeah. Cause I wouldn't be able to survive if I did. Right. So. Our next question comes from a listener who would like to be referred to as M. Hi, um, I love your TikTok videos and I always watch them. They bring me a lot of comfort. So thank you for making them. Um, I tried to uh, condense this question as much as possible um, because of a situation I'm going through. I wanted you to like talk about what you think about blocking somebody or like blocking someone that you were seeing or kind of dating, not even dating. It's more of like a quote-unquote situations of like situationship I guess you can say um so there was this person we were kind of seeing each other it wasn't like dates or anything he never took me on a real date which is my fault I guess that's how I felt like you know I saw him and I let him see me casually instead of taking me on a real date it never went that far at first and then you know he just kind of got really distant and weird and flaked on a date. And so I just ended up blocking him because he wasn't treating me nice. And it just was swiping up on selfies and stuff. And it was just rude. And I blocked him. He called me like two weeks later and really just explained, you know, he was going through some stuff. And I said, you know, I'll give you another chance. We could be friends. And he said, uh, he really likes me. So his feelings for me. And I was like, just go ahead and like, show me that. Like, you could say that, but show me. And we met up again. I feel like he got what he wanted from me. That was like the only time that happened. And I felt really bad about it. You know, he told me he wanted to see me again after that. He even like was really nice and his goodbye. And then I never seen him again. He goes to the same um, gym as me. It's, I feel like someone would hear this and be like, they'll know who I am, but I highly doubt that he listens to anything like this. But it's just really awkward like seeing him at the gym and I'm really hurt it hurt my feelings and when I see him like once a week or like because we're bumping each other like once a week there it's just really awkward and it just gives me all those feelings again I feel like blocking him is just dramatic and shows that I care and I don't want to reach out again and be like you really hurt my feelings it just kind of looks pathetic I think and I really don't know what to do like what do you think about blocking somebody in like all that like should I block him and he even said I'm emotionally unavailable. He said it to me, you know, and here I am like hung up over this guy who doesn't give a crap about me and probably isn't very like, I don't know, 
emotionally um, aware or even like cares about how he affects other people's feelings or really knows what he's doing or why he is the way he is. So um, I hope you can answer this question or give me some advice. I really was just like this whole blocking thing. Like, I don't want to be too rude. Should I just say something? He called me the last time I blocked him like a week later. All right. Thank you. I hope this isn't too long. Um, thanks. Oh, M, M, this is, I, I love this one. I mean, I think that this is so relatable for so many people. So I just want to yeah. thank you for taking the time to even, I could tell you were kind of like, I don't know, I hope he doesn't listen to this, <laughs> but I just want to like, thank you so much. Cause I think there's so many people that will listen to this. who will be like, oh girl, me too. Me okay. too. Saying, please answer that question. Um, and you know, so I, you know, it's so interesting. I want to point out a few things because when we, when we think about the word blocking, it feels harsh. It feels harsh. Like I'm blocking them and be like, oh, that's like mean. Like, like I block them on every platform. And we feel like that's so harsh, but we're not taking into consideration that part of the gener part of the way our culture runs now is that we're blocking and that feels harsh, but we never realize that we're also peeking in through people's windows. We're sliding up on stories. We're watching window. We're watching movies. We're watching movies being like the little snaps, the little stories, whether it's on Snapchat or on Instagram. Like we never considered like, wait, you're like opening up the window to my house and crawling into my house. And I have no problem with you doing that. Right. And so I want to point out that we tend to think blocking is so harsh but crawling through the window, I mean, we're putting our, we're putting part of our life out there and then they're looking at it and we feel, we feel like it's a violation that they're crawling into our life. So I would say, sweets, you blocking is not harsh. That's just you closing the window. Mm -hmm. When you put it out there, when you put something on Instagram, on your story or on snap, you are opening up the windows to your house and you're letting people crawl in and see a little bit piece of your life. So I would say, oh, that matches to say, if I don't want you crawling in through my window, I'm going to close the fucking window. That's what blocking is. It's not harsh. I'm just saying, thank you, but I don't want you in my house. So I'm wondering if we, can we, Andrew, can we come up with a new word besides blocking? Maybe we need to come up with a new word that doesn't sound so right. bad, which is just like, no, you're just shutting a window. I don't know. We got to come up with something here. It's almost like that person doesn't deserve to see your life, you know, yeah. like they're not allowed to come to the show. Yes, exactly. I know. So we need to come up with a word instead of blocking. Maybe we'll figure this out for the next episode. That doesn't sound like I'm being so mean because blocking sounds mean. Like I'm blocking you. No, no, that's healthy. That's healthy. What, what you do want to slow down and say to yourself, do I want to be able to put some communication with it? So it feels a little bit kinder in my body. Do I want to just send a real quick text that says, Hey, just to let you know, no hard feelings. I am going to block you because I really feel like this is not a healthy relationship for me to be in. And I'm trying to move on. Would it, would that feel good? But notice where I'm determining that I'm trying it on. Do I like the way I'm handling it? Not what he thinks of it not how he reacts, but I would say, do I like the way I'm handling this? And then my encouragement would be is if you really feel like you are trying to get closure, then I would block everything and I'd block his number so he couldn't call you if you're trying to get closure. Now, why do I, so that would be my suggestion. Do I wanna, do I wanna send a text? Would I like the idea of it so that I let him know so it's just not out of the blue that I block, but then if I do, I need to do it across all platforms, right? That's like kind of like, saying, you know, I'm really trying to limit the amount of sweets I have in the house. And I know, I know ice cream is my weakness. So I'm just going to cut out all the ice cream, ice cream, except for that little Ben and Jerry's pan, Ben and Jerry's pint, Jimmy Fallon flavor, which is my favorite one. <laughs> like I'll take it all out except for that one. 
and then think I'm not going to get into that one. So my encouragement would be if you're trying to clear out all the ice cream, you need to clear out all the ice cream and that includes that would include the way he'd be able to call you as well. Um, my also my encouragement would be to give your body a break when you run into him. That's not giving your body a break. It's like because your body has all those feels. I mean, this is someone you were naked with. And so your body's going to get all those feels that come with being intimate and naked with someone, which isn't a bad thing, but recognize my body's going to have that reaction, whether it's hurt or whether it's this longing. And so I would say, oh, just for a little bit, not for always, but, but do I need to switch up the time that I go so I don't run into them? Not because I'm avoiding them, because I'm giving my body a chance to heal. Notice where the focus is on all this, not on him. It's on what do I need to do to tend to myself? I don't, I can't control what's in his life and his life is not my life because I'm not his significant. What goes on in his life is not my life. So I'm coming back to say, what would feel good in my body? What boundaries need, do I need to set so I can heal? And so it may mean, okay, for a bit, I need to switch up the time I go to the gym. So I'm not holding my breath, hoping I run into him. Right. And let's just be a little honest. There may be part of you that's like, but I kind of do hope I run into him. I mean, sometimes that's there. And so for that part, I would very much speak to that part and say, I know, I know there's this part of us and we don't want to acknowledge it because it may feel like a little desperate being treated so bad and having a part that still wants to see them. And that's where I would tend to that voice or that part of us and say, I know, sweets, I know, I know we would like to see him. I know there's part of us that really would love to run into him, but I don't think that's best for us right now. And what am I doing there? I'm cultivating a internal parent. I'm cultivating a muscle. I'm growing a muscle in myself that needs to step in and parent. See, even though we're in these older bodies with these little, with these wrinkles and we think we're an adult now, we still need to cultivate an internal parent that is both nurturing and protective, gentle and protective. Do you hear the voice that I'm cultivating that says, I know we may want to run into him, but I don't think it's best for us right now. I'm kind and I'm protective. That's the voice. That's the muscle we're building inside of ourselves, right? And so that's why I would encourage you to do, to, to do both of those things. See if you can build in that parent voice and set up boundaries. Um, you know, are you, are you hurt? Absolutely. You wanted more. However, I actually just put up, I just put up a video on TikTok about this saying, but, but it's not their responsibility. It's our responsibility to set boundaries. It is. And I just said this, I just put up a snippet and said, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to say, oh, I mean, someone could listen to this and be like, oh, typical trash, right? Oh, it's so typical. Like that's all guys. No, no, no. It, it doesn't matter what's outside. It's about how do I set boundaries to protect myself? And that's my responsibility. And that's a lot harder to look at. Why? Because then, then I have to look at what's going on in my life. I have to look at how I'm hurt and how I'm responding to things, um, but not, not an easy one. Yeah. And I also want to point out something that you said, M, which was that, you know, he never took you on a proper date and that's my fault. Mm -hmm. that's what she said and I was just like oh mm. it's so not your fault you know I don't want anyone to be blaming themselves for things that they should have said earlier or you know boundaries that they may have may should have said earlier I think that's such a common um feeling that we get when we start to blame ourselves for something that we didn't say or that we would have asked for you know with a partner uh. I, you know, Andrew, I'm so glad you brought that up because that actually is a really significant point because we as human beings have a tendency to blame. It's either our fault or their fault. It's got to go somewhere. We will point a finger. Either I'm pointing a finger at you and it's your fault or I'm pointing a finger at me and it's my fault. And why do we, why do we blame? Why is it black or white? Because it, I feel like if I can find out whose fault it is, then somebody has to fix it. Either I have to fix it or you have to fix it. And why does our brain default to that? Because it doesn't want you to experience pain in the future. 
So if I leave it as like, oh, this was painful, this was hard, note for next time, what would I do different? Remember, that's what relationships are. You're learning as you go. We do not come with a manual on this. We're learning as we go. So note for next time, what would I do different? Note for next time, I wanna go, if I don't see somebody go on a proper date with me or ask me out, I am not going to give them my time, but that is, but that, that is about learn. That is about having grace for yourself. And it is about note for next time. Our body doesn't like that as much. Why? Because there's a bigger chance of it feeling like it may get hurt again. It wants to blame because it thinks it can protect itself. Your body thinks it can protect itself from getting hurt in the future. If I can point the blame, if I can find the source of my pain, that's what's going on there. So I love that you brought that in and brought that back up, Andrew. Wow. All right. Well, should we say for next time, if you'd like to send us a question, you can email us at yes. podcast at gmail.com. Send us a voice memo of a recording using your phone and email those to us. Lisa, yes. do you have anything else to say before we sign off? No, except that we, I'm, I'm almost like, like I am loving this so much. Like, I don't know. I feel like this is so this is so enjoyable. Like, I almost feel like, come on, let's go again. Let's do it again. And no, <laughs> Like, I just want to thank you guys for sharing your stories, trusting us with your stories. Um, you know, as, and I hope if you took away one nugget, one nugget from this, that that is our goal here. If there's one thing that we said that makes you feel you are normal, that you feel seen, that you feel like you are doing just fine, you know, and as always, you know, Andrew, I, I want to end every podcast with saying, be kind, be kind to yourself, be kind to yourself. The kinder you are to yourself, the more grace you learn how to give yourself, the more grace you will give other people. You are harder on other people if you have if you are harder on yourself. So be kind. Be kind starting with yourself. How do you have grace for yourself? There is not a manual to this life. We are all learning as we go. And be kind to the people around you. Be kind to the people that you see in social media. You have no idea what they're going through. You have no idea. We're so quick to judge. So I'd say be kind to the people that you see, whether it's on TikTok or Instagram or in the news. Be kind because you do not know their whole story. You don't know their whole story. So I will end with that note. Amazing. All right. I'll see you next week. All right. Bye, friend. See you. <laughs>